big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patrons, Megan, Olivia, and JF. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like these awesome people and get access to our notes, bonus episodes, live streams, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice to see how you can support us. Pod and Prejudice is transcribed by Speech Docs. Speech Docs is a podcast transcription service run by real people, not software. They're attentive, affordable, and have a fast turnaround. We've been working with them for over a year and we love them. So if you have a podcast you need transcribed and you really should be transcribing your podcasts, we highly recommend Speech Docs. Check them out at speechdocs.com. That's S-P-E-E-C-H D-O-C-S dot com. And now enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 18 and 19 of Sense and Sensibility. So I was explaining to you that the basketball. Yes, basketball. You know what playoffs are, right? Uh, is that like March Madness? Oh, no. No, it's the NBA playoffs. The TDLR version. That's the right. Yeah, that's the right. Yeah. T- no, TLDR. TLDR. The TLDR version is basically the teams that did the best in the regular season are now competing for like the championship. So this is like the big one, the big basketball boys. Yes, these are the big basketball boys. And right now we're at the point where everyone's kind of paired off with one team and it's the first round. So then they have to make it to the next round and then the next round until the final two teams battle it out. So it is kind of like March Madness. March Madness is college basketball, not the NBA. But it's the same thing, but like big time boys. Yes. All sports teams kind of operate in the playoffs and sort of bracket. Got it. Situations. Um, So the Nets are playing the Celtics tonight and they were favored to win. And if they win tonight, they will move to the next round of the playoffs. They will play the Bucks, I believe. We should do a bracket of Austin characters. Like a March Madness bracket? Like a March Madness bracket, but like who would win in a fight or like something like that. We should absolutely do that when we've read more Jane Austen books. Yeah, fair, 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 fair. Right now, it'd be very Pride and Prejudice heavy. We have not even met all the characters in Sense and Sensibility yet. I know. I was starting to think about that today because I did a post on Twitter for Pride and was like, here are the Jane Austen characters we believe are definitely gay. And then I was like, you know what? It has to be just Pride and Prejudice because so far in Sense and Sensibility, all I have is that Marianne is bi. Yes. And probably Brandon too, but who wants to say? Oomst. Homest, homest is to say. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about chapters 18 and 19 of Sense and Sensibility. Each time we go to a new set of chapters, I'm like, this is the craziest thing to ever happen in a Jane Austen (laughs) novel. 
But this just keeps getting weirder and weirder. Before we get too far into this, I, Becca, have read a lot of the Jane Austen canon before and many times. And this is my first time. So season one, we read Pride and Prejudice with Becca being my guide, my guiding light, the person carrying a lantern before me through the dark of the night of the Jane Austen canon. Okay, Marianne. And now we are reading Sense and Sensibility, and today we are discussing chapters 18 and 19, like I said, and I think we should just get into it because, boy, oh boy. Before we get into it, I just feel like I need to say, without spoiling anything, the fact that you think this is wild, we are in for some fun recording sessions. Oh, I am sure. The thing thing is, content-wise, like... Plot-wise right now, this is not that much. This is one of the tamer chapters, I'd say. Yeah, it is. However, these people are so weird. The drama. They're all very high drama, even when the stakes for the drama are so low. (laughs) Like, nothing's happening, and yet you are so stressed out. Everyone is very stressed. Shall we get into it? We shall. So, listeners, where we left off in the last episode was... Eddie has returned and is being kind of weird and like melancholy almost like like cold, distant, one might say. A mixed signals king, I believe, was the the term we coined for Mr. Edward Ferris. Yes, who I am pretty sure is played by Hugh Grant at this point. And I think that's hilarious. Um, I think it's going to be so funny to watch him play this absolute disaster of a human being. So this is kind of a slightly unpopular opinion, uh, but I think Edward Ferris is such a dreamboat because he's such a disaster. We love a disaster boy. I just like don't. (laughs) I think that Eddie's the kind of disaster that's just a little bit too awkward for me. You know who he's kind of like? He kind of reminds me of Newt Scamander, as in like Eddie Redmayne in the Fantastic Beasts movies, which is just a little bit too awkward for me. Yes, that's fair. So, okay, listeners have gotten to know uh, my boyfriend vaguely, and he is not an awkward person. He's much more a Bingley than an Edward Ferris. Yes, absolutely. But I definitely watched that episode of Parks and Rec where Ben Wyatt has a meltdown on your herd with purd. I don't know enough about Parks and Rec, but I'm I'm here with you. I'm I'm following. And thought to myself, oh, I've dated him. Oh, human disaster. Yeah, I've seen the meme. Uh, it's not just Ben Wyatt, human disaster. He um goes on TV and he just like has a full meltdown on like a gentle local talk show. And he's like, is there is there a bird? <laughs> I I swear I hear a bird in here. I I know what you're trying to do, bird, but it's not gonna fucking work on me. Look, I have scars, I have flaws, and then he lifts up his shirt on TV. And I watched that episode, and I was like, yeah, I definitely dated him. Oh my god. <laughs> so do you think that that's Eddie? Like he's that level of disaster, like freaking out in public? I mean. Uh, in his own Jane Austen way. Mm, yeah. You know, all right, here's the other thing. Eddie Redmayne really looks like the guy who played Bingley in the 2005, and for a long time I thought that it was Eddie Redmayne. And while that is a different movie and a different character, in my mind I kind of equate Eddie to Bingley. So that's why I think I'm getting, I'm getting like very introverted Eddie from what I'm reading right now because I'm picturing literal Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Eddie Redmayne would be a great cast for Edward Ferrer's 
but he is not playing him. But let's get into the actual chapters. So Eleanor sees that Eddie is not having a good time here, so much so that she can't even tell if he still likes her, which is like red flag, number one, in my opinion. One morning, Marianne leaves the two of them alone in the breakfast parlor, but then like as soon as she's on the stairs, she hears Eddie like run out of the room behind her and she turns around and he's like, uh, since you're not ready for breakfast yet, I'm going to go tend to the horses. And I got it. At this point, I got the vibe. I got the dynamic. I've Yeah, I was trying to explain it to you, but this moment encapsulates it so perfectly. Yeah. And I see now why you needed to tell me that I was off because I would have gone to town with this whole chapter. And I understand <laughs> now like, oh, Eddie is scared to be in a room alone with Eleanor. He's uncomfortable. Yes, this absolutely stems from like a clear inner turmoil for Mr. Edward Ferris, where he, for some reason, is now deeply uncomfortable around Eleanor and it is hurting her feelings. And we don't know why. No, we don't. So he comes back after attending his horses with a new admiration of the countryside. So Marianne immediately starts going in about, oh yeah, let's talk about all the things you love about the countryside. And he's like, no, 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 hang on. And my notes say, oh, he's funny. But then on a second read, I was like, wait, I don't actually think he's trying to be funny. Well, read the passage. So the passage is, you must not inquire too far, Marianne. Remember, I have no knowledge in the picturesque, and I shall offend you by my ignorance and want of taste if we come to particulars. I shall call hills steep, which ought to be bold, surfaces strange and uncouth, which ought to be irregular and rugged, and distant objects out of sight, which ought only to be indistinct through the soft medium of a hazy atmosphere, which I think is hilarious. Like, he's being like... I think he's joking. He's joking, right? Yeah, he's not, he's not that much of a human disaster. He's still like, there are reasons Eleanor likes him. Right, right. Eleanor's a biting wit. He's got some of the repartee going. Okay, that's reassuring because at first I was like, yeah, 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 that's hilarious. But he goes on, you know, twice as long as what I just read aloud to continue saying it. And I was like, maybe he's not trying to be funny, but I'm glad to know that he is because I was proud of him. That's how I read it. That's how I read it. I like that for him. So Marianne says he's, you know, why would you admit to that? Like, yes, it's true. You don't really know much about the picturesque, but why are you admitting that? And Eleanor cuts in and is like, to avoid one type of affectation, Eddie falls into another. He doesn't want to be like people who pretend to admire the beauty of of nature more than they do. So he pretends to be more indifferent than he is. I get this vibe. So like the way I read this personally, I'm a smart person. I know this about myself, but I'm really bad at science. Mm -hmm. I'm very not smart with science. It was all of my lowest grades in high school. I took one class in college that was a science class for like a requirement. I got a bad grade in it. And I, for self-deprecating reasons, make a lot of fun of the fact that I fundamentally don't understand how physics works. My sister thinks that I overblow this as part of like a personality trait to sort of be self-deprecating and just like cushion the fact that I don't know about science. I think that's the vibe here. Yeah, I actually was just doing this a moment ago when we were texting and you said, I'm watching the Mets. And I said, the what? And you said, 
sports team. And I was like, oh, the sports team. I said the Brooklyn Nets is what I said. (laughs) Yes, you said the Brooklyn Nets. And I said, oh, sports. And like, I probably would have come to that conclusion on my own. In fact, I think I did before I sent it. But I was like, this is a personality trait of mine. I don't understand sports. I'm going to roll with it. So I totally get that. Exactly. There's something a little charming about being like, oh, like like some people do it like, oh, I'm always late. Right. Like I once got called on that on a date. I have a rule on first dates where if you're in the like 10 minute mark, you're not late. I got there with like nine minutes like nine minutes late mm-hmm. and I said that to him and I was like oh sorry it's just my little rule of thumb and he was like no if you show up late you're late and I was like okay this is gonna be a first and only date <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah I get it and I wonder why Eleanor is saying like I feel like once you call it out it's not funny anymore so like well unless you're teasing gently. right okay so she's teasing gently then she calls him fastidious in everything like she says he is fastidious and will have an affectation of his own like his own he doesn't want to be like everyone else and it's interesting fastidious meaning having an attention to detail so I'm wondering like is she saying that he calculates his personality not calculates but like he curates curates like presents how he wants to be presented and and he can also he can only do so much of that because his mom is the way that she is so like when he's with them he can be the person that he wants to be god damn it yes he can we have a boy who does not like his family (laughs) can only be himself around these four women he knows Apparently. Classic Jane Austen. Yes, indeed. Someone doesn't like their family. Who would have thunk? The next part, Marianne's response to this is very funny. She says she agrees that the admiration of beauty is a kind of jargon and she hates jargon of every kind. And sometimes she keeps her feelings to herself because she doesn't want to use meaningless and overused language. And I'm like, Marianne, really? Do you? Because that's not the vibe that I've gotten. She's such a teenager sometimes. She was like, oh, I would never. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we all do, like when we like are trying to save face mm-hmm. or there's also a lack of self-awareness to it. Like this is really off topic possibly but it's been coming up a lot have you heard of the adjective chuggy yes (laughs) so I learned about this adjective about three days ago and it has come up so much since then and it's always women my age like young millennials who like have used this word and are like oh my god I guess I'm chuggy In like a cute self-deprecating way. Yeah, but I looked at the definition of it and I was like, isn't using the word chuggy the chuggiest thing? Is that not like, am I using this correctly? I don't really know how it works. I think it's a word made up by mean Gen Z people. A lot of Gen Zs are some of the smartest and nicest people that I've met and then but there's like a subset it's an internet culture thing to sell us brands my understanding of it well the only the only understanding of it that I have is this person who was our age who published an article that was like I guess I'm chuggy and I don't care and it was like wearing last month's like something stupid like that um but then I was talking to our friend Maria and she was like, someone said Wicked is Chuggy. And she was like really upset because that's her favorite musical. And I was like, Maria, like what you like. 
fuck what they say. Yes, yes. Everyone should like what they like. I think most people who are not mean TikTok bullies don't really care. Yeah. I just, the only people I know who are being cutesy and being like, oh, I'm being chuggy are people who are like, the people who Chugi was made up to describe. Oh. <laughs> and for me, I, again, this word just feels fucking foreign in my mouth. I'm too old for this. Yeah, it doesn't like, sound good. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> like nothing about it makes sense Chugi. to me, which is how I know that I'm getting old. But I feel like even like 20 year old Becca would have been like, Mm-mm. but to me, like the actual act of using the word Chugi is itself probably Chugi. Do you know what I mean? Like, in a meta sense. Right. We're not supposed to know we're chuggy. Yeah. But like if you get self-aware with the chuggy, then like that's the chuggiest thing in the world. Yeah. I don't even really get what it means. I <laughs> Wait, we're going to urban dictionary this shit okay. before we go back to Jane Austen okay. because we need to we need to lower our brain count. But I get what you're saying. While you look that up, I will just loop it back and say Marianne knows that she is being called out a little bit here and is saying, I would never do that thing that you're saying that I do that I know I do. All right. Chuggy. The term was popularized by Generation Z as a pejorative to describe lifestyle trends associated with the early 2010s and millennials. This aesthetic has been described as, quote, the opposite of trendy or, quote, trying too hard. The term has been co-opted by some who identify with the aesthetic. This includes live, laugh, love signs, minion memes, using words like doggo, and anything that says, quote, girl boss on it. While it has been compared to, quote, being basic, some sources have suggested that it is not quite basic. The Evening Standard said that the Chug's logical arch arch nemesis is probably the hipster. Then that is, it's just another way of saying basic. I have to say my jaw fell to the floor when you said that saying doggo was chuggy because <laughs> the, the only thing that I say is doggo. <laughs> no, but my point is like, I'm not going to like, you're never going to be like, ah, I'm a chuggy girl. Like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Listeners, if you identify as chuggy, we're not judging you. I just think it's sort of like a snake eating its own tail. Cause like, if you're trying to reclaim the term chuggy, then I think that is the essence of probably being chuggy because you're trying to get in on a trend that you're slightly on the outside of. Mm. Listen, the early 2000s are the golden age of most media. The early 2000s or the early 2010s? Because this is about the early 2010s. Oh. Because I think the early 2000s is the worst age for fashion imaginable. Oh, I don't care about fashion. I'm just thinking about rom-coms that came out in these years. It was a golden age for rom-coms, for sure. The 90s and early 2000s, and then you get to, like, the 2010s is bad. You know what else was good in the 1995 and the early 2000s? Adaptations of Jane Austen that came out in Adaptations year. of Jane Austen. So why don't we go back to discussing this book that's uh, definitely a more intelligent discussion. Segway, vroom, vroom. Okay, so <laughs> Eddie insists that he doesn't feel more admiration than he says that he does for the beauty of nature. He reaches for his tea at this point and Marianne notices that he's wearing a ring and inside the ring is a piece of hair. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting so hard for us to get to this part. We just talked about Chuggy for 20 
minutes and there's a hair thing coming up. <laughs> what is with this book and hair? What is with it? I mean, I think it's actually, well, I don't want to give anything away. I think it's it's worth noting that Jane Austen has brought this up twice now. I think she is trying to do something with the hair. Oh, she's absolutely trying to do something with it. And I'm like, what's happening? I mean, our patrons will get to see my notes in my book, but I like scribbled all over the page. I can like, I see? What? Can I see? Yeah, you can see. Oh, <laughs> in the margins, she just wrote what the fuck over and over and over again. Okay. I was trying to think of a way to characterize this. It is weird. I was thinking about it in terms of like tattoos, getting somebody's name tattooed on you or something. But that, but they're not dating. Exactly. So, so anyway, keep going. Well, okay. But for, before we move on, I need to just say how I'm picturing this ring. Um, you know when you get like some glass jewelry that has flowers inside, like it's like the flowers. <laughs> So I'm picturing a tiny little braid inside a beautiful glass ring. (laughs) And I don't want to know if it's something completely different because that's what I'm going to be picturing the whole time. And it's accentuated with little flower petals. Graham, I'm so sorry. (laughs) My my little audio is jumping like crazy. I know. I can't even fully react to how I felt when I read this because I was (laughs) screaming and I don't want to blow your ears off. I want to hear it like a little bit. I want to hear a little bit. What the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? Why does he have hair on his hand? Okay. (laughs) But it gets even weirder. It gets even weirder, listeners. It gets worse. So she notices this and she says, What's that? Never seen you wear a ring before. Is that Fanny's hair? I heard you asking her for some. Why would you ever, ever wear your sister's hair? So this is where the tattoo metaphor comes in. Because I don't think it'd be that weird if you had a tattoo of your brother's name on you. Um, It would be weird if you hate your sister. I guess, unless you had matching tattoos or something. But he hates his sister. Yeah, but my point is, like, by formal, like, measures of society it's not that weird that edward would have a piece of fanny's hair i don't know it's such an intimate thing to do with someone you hate or that he, i don't know if he hates her he does not mesh well he doesn't like fanny he doesn't like so i fanny. don't know why you would like i mean he does everything he can not to associate with her he complained so much about going back to norland like it's a weird question it's weird that he wanted some of her hair but it's kind of moot because it's, moot. it's not her hair <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It's the next sentence. Literally, I, I had a moment where I was like, oh, my God, why is he wearing Fanny's hair? And then the next sentence said, Eleanor met his eye and looked conscious. Likewise, that the hair was her own. She instantaneously felt as well satisfied as Marianne. And then I was question mark. What? Because first of all, I mean, it's obviously like a weird thing, but we've established that people give hair to people they like. It's like a thing that people do in this time. But Eleanor doesn't know how he got the hair. Weird that he secretly has hair. (laughs) Weirder Eleanor's reaction to him secretly having the hair. She's like, like, when did he get my hair? That's kind of (laughs) hot. I wonder if he came in while I was sleeping and cut it off my head. I can't. I I love this moment, though. This is the first time you see Eleanor react how you would expect Marianne to react. Yes, because any other Eleanor scene, she would be like, 
when did you get my hair? Why do you have my hair? What are you doing? But she, in this scene, is like, I wonder when he got my hair. Mmm. <laughs> Ooh la la. And this is, I think, an underrated piece of Eleanor Dashwood. And I, we'll obviously get more into it as we go through the books. But I think that Eleanor is misperceived as consistently practical, mm-hmm. consistently pragmatic. Mm-hmm. And I, this is the first moment where you see her be a little, oh, I like this this weird, sexy thing that's happened. <laughs> um, what's interesting, not interesting per se, but something I'm noticing. So I'm reading currently a book that is a gay retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Love it. Because... You know, Darcy is a gender neutral name, so why not make it gay? As is Fitzwilliam. As- <laughs> oh my god. Um, and in this book we get we like switch back and forth between Darcy and Elle and uh like their perspectives. And Darcy is like this very uptight, like mm-hmm. like she's very practical in this version. But we get to see like this other side of her at certain times when she's like when her barriers are breaking down and she's like I don't want to be the practical one and I feel like Jane Austen didn't necessarily show us that in Pride and Prejudice because it was all from Elizabeth's perspective mostly um we get to see a little bit of Darcy but I feel like mostly we were following Elizabeth here we are seeing Eleanor and Marianne being the titular characters in the novel at first we're delving into both of their psyches and in this part this is where we're seeing that breakdown of Eleanor's practicality and her walls. And she has really built up those walls in the last couple of months that she's been away from Norland. She's like, I am the one who is doing a good job. But yeah, this page, my copy, it's page 72, took me through a journey. I had my hand covering it up because like every sentence was a new thing. <laughs> it was like, First, we were everything was normal, normal novel, everything good. There's a, a ring with hair in it. Is that your sister's hair? What the fuck? Her sister's hair? Uh, yeah, that's my sister's hair. Why do you have your sister's hair? Eleanor knew it was her own hair. What the fuck? She didn't know where he got it. Eleanor was into it being her own hair. Yeah. So that was a whole journey. I want to make, you know, the Jim and Dwight meme that's like zero days without nonsense. And for Pride and Prejudice, we had zero days without an extremely insulting marriage proposal. I want to do something with zero days without like some sort of weird hair exchange. I love it. Zero days without hair being used to describe intimacy. Yeah, without flirting by giving a lock of your hair to someone or something. (laughs) Without taking a lock of a woman's hair and wearing it on your body as a prize. There it is. That's the winner. So Marianne is really embarrassed because she feels like she embarrassed him and that makes her feel embarrassed because he's clearly embarrassed. But our narrator says she wouldn't be so embarrassed if she knew that Eleanor was not so embarrassed. Ooh. I love this part where she's just like, ooh. She's like feeling a little flushed. She's like, he's got my hair. She's like, that's definitely my hair. It's a little sexy. He won't admit it, but that's my hair. Then Sir John and Mrs. Jennings arrive. And quickly learn that Ferrers begins with an F. And I thought that was a fun little callback to oh, yes. our girl Margaret saying it begins with an F. I needed that little nudge. I needed to know. 
So they invite them to come to tea that evening since they don't have any guests that night and then to dine with them the next day since they're having a large party. So either way, they must hang out and they want there to be dancing at the party. And Marianne's like, no, no, a dance is impossible. And Mrs. Jennings is like, just because Willoughby isn't here doesn't mean that the rest of us can't dance. And then John says he wishes Willoughby were there. And that makes Eddie lean over to Eleanor and go like, who's Willoughby? And then when everybody leaves... He tells Marianne, I have been guessing. Shall I tell you my guess? At this moment, I was like, are they best friends? And then I remembered that she kind of thinks of him as like an annoying older brother. But I think that their vibe is more best friends than they're like pals. They have like a banter. Yes, they're definitely pals. They're absolutely pals. So I'm glad that you told me yet again. (laughs) Because this part was so cute. He was like, shall I tell you my guess? And she's like, what? And he says, I guess that Mr. Willoughby hunts. And I said, nice callback, dude. Yep, he got it. He got it. And then Marianne smiles and she says she's sure Eddie's going to like him when they meet. And Eddie says he's sure he will. And then it does say he just vows to not bring it up again unless she does, which is, it's nice. It's nice. He respects her boundaries. of decorum. A good boy. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pot and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. Talking about that hair really got me all. I love watching you read this because this book just like turns you in knots. It's wonderful. It's like you think you're going one way, you flip over, you're going the other way, and then someone gives a lock of hair to someone else, and (laughs) then there's a horse. There's always a horse, something or other on a horse. There's always a horse, something or other on a horse. On a t-shirt. I think that's the new tagline for our podcast. Yeah. Stay proper and find yourself something or other on a horse. Anyway, that's not, we're not at the end of the show. Nope, nope. We, we still have another chapter, guys. Chapter 19. Chapter 19. Eddie stays a week 
And even though by the end of the week, he's in a much better mood, he still has to go. And he's like, I'm so sad I have to go. I don't want to be anywhere else but here, but I must go. I must. And Eleanor blames his mother for this behavior because basically she thinks it's nice to have someone to blame. She said she was happy that he had a mother whose character was so imperfectly known to her as to be the general excuse for everything strange on the part of her son. I feel like that's like everyone's got something that they always blame. And for most people, I'm tired. Yeah, I do that, too. For Eddie, it's it's his mom. His mom is a weirdo. She decides to regard his actions with all the candid allowances that her mother, Mrs. Dashwood, had convinced her to give Willoughby, like how when he had to leave, Mrs. Dashwood was like, it's because his mom or his aunt or whoever wanted him to go. She's like, we're going to blame his mom here. Basically, always blame other people, not the person you like. Yes, but also like it's interesting because of how... Eleanor's framing things is is she convincing you no why not because I don't trust anyone (laughs) you've been so broken down by this book oh my god um I don't she's not convincing me because it's not backed strongly enough she doesn't know his mom well enough it says that her character is imperfectly known to Eleanor so like she's just taking this person that she's heard of via him and via Fanny a little bit and saying she's to blame also we gave this much allowance to Willoughby like that he could be so I have to be fair like it's not actually based on anything that Eddie is saying also Eddie's still being weird like if you want to stay just stay you don't have anything taking you away you don't have a job yep yeah there was a quote about this that I liked um in talking about Eddie's mood being so low she decides that that can be attributed to his lack of independence like his dependence on his mother the old well-established grievance of duty against will parent against child was the cause of all she wishes she knew when this duty to his mother would end but for now she comforts herself in knowing that he still loves her as evidenced by that flattering proof he wears on his finger oh my god (laughs) I want like, I want, I wish I had a drink right now just so I could take a drink every time I watch your, a wave of nausea crash over you having to do with the hair. Sense and sensibility drinking game. Drink every time someone gives a lock of hair away or finds a lock of hair given to someone of their own. Or mentions a lock of hair. Any mention of hair in a way that's not like brushing your hair. Any mention of hair detached from a head. Yes. On his last morning there, Mrs. Dashwood suggests that Eddie might be happier if he had a job. He agrees, but he says that he and his family could never agree on anything for him. The church, which is what he wanted to do, wasn't smart enough for his family. The army, which is what they wanted him to do, was too smart for him, etc., etc. And since he could, quote, be as dashing and expensive without a red coat as with one, he was just hanging out with his friends doing nothing. Um, He went to Oxford, which I guess is also considered doing nothing. I mean, you go to college and you drink with your friends and he's just been idle ever since. He calls himself an idle, helpless being. I think he might be a little spoiled. Yeah, I I don't think that's the vibe of this paragraph, though. I think what I read from this paragraph is that he feels bitter about his lack of ability to work. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I definitely I think that that is true. And I also think. Well, I was going to make a Gilmore Girls reference because like, ooh, okay, Logan has this speech that he shouts at Rory at some point when they're in a fight. 
and he says, um, you think I have all these doors open to me? I only see one. It's the one I'm being pushed through. And on the one hand, sure, I see your pain. But on the other hand, you don't get to complain. It's a poor little rich boy situation. It absolutely is a poor little rich boy situation, which is, you know, common in Jane Austen. Yes, um, of course. Because all the boys are little rich boys. Writing about the upper class. Yes, absolutely. But like this is basically the crux of the issue is that like in this time, it's not fashionable to work. Right. And I don't feel bad for Eddie. <laughs> and Eddie wants to work and feels bad about himself that he's not working. To Moscow. I want to work. Like we're reading Chekhov. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. It's the same vibe. It's that aristocracy where it's like there's so few careers that he could have done. And for one reason or another, none of them worked out because of like family pressure or duty or whatever. He's very bound by these duties to his life and he's very resentful of them. And I think I know a lot of people who feel very boxed in by those options, even today, like. Logan. And on one hand, it is a very privileged position to have. Mm -hmm. On the other, it does kind of suck. But you can really see Edward stuck by the weight of the obligations on him in this speech. My headcanon is still going to be he learns how to draw and goes off and becomes an artist and like joins an art colony. Well, you never know what happens at the end of this book. Truly, I would have a month ago, I would have said that would never happen, but who knows with Jane Austen <laughs> these days. Oh, and I also wanted to know how old he is. He's 23. Okay, so at some point in this speech, he mentioned being 18, but he was talking about the past. Yeah, yeah, no, he's not 18. He's not younger than Eleanor. Oh, right, okay. It's interesting because even with her younger suitor, Marianne is farther in age, so there's a bigger age gap between Willoughby and Marianne than there is between Eleanor and Edward. Mm-hmm. Eleanor and Edward are basically an age appropriate couple in this time period. Because Eleanor 19 is... and 23. Oh, yeah, nineteen. Yeah, I mean, I probably still wouldn't have dated a 19 year old when I was 23. Actually, that's not true. If I was a senior in college and I was dating a freshman, that would be around that age. It's like basically pretty normal. Right, right. But it's interesting. I think most romances in this time period are not this close in age. Right. I mean, I feel like people who are closer in age are more likely to be friends than to date. Interesting to note. So Mrs. Dashwood comments that since his idleness has clearly made him so unhappy, she's sure that his own sons will be brought up to pursue many employments, professions, and trades, quote, as columellas. And I don't know what that that means. I think it's probably like a sturdy pillar of society based on what I've pulled up. An ossicle in the middle of an ear of birds, reptiles, <laughs> and amphibians. Um, I have a central column or axis of a spiral univalve shell, the bony or partly cartilaginous rod connecting the tympanic membrane with the internal ear. Yeah, I don't do science. I just... Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, basically... I think we can ignore that word, but I think that what she's saying is they'll be able to do a lot of things. Yes. Yes. He wants his uh, kids to be workers. As unlike himself as possible, as he says, which is kind of sad. Then Mrs. Dashwood says, you only think that right now because you're in a melancholy state and everyone gets sad when they have to part from friends. Not everyone who's unlike him is happy. Like when you're sad, you think everyone else must be happy. And when 
you, you know, so like you want to be anyone but yourself. I mean, the conversation overall was kind of boring to me, but this one part that she says is so beautiful that I honestly was sitting out reading it and thinking I'm going to get this tattooed on my body. I mean, I kind of like her whole speech. I think that the rest of the conversation outside of her speech is boring. Her speech is beautiful. I would read the whole thing, but I'm just going to read this one part. Know your own happiness. You want nothing but patience or give it a more fascinating name. Call it hope. Ah. Wow. Yeah. If I were to get a Jane Austen tattoo, it'd probably be that. I would say wait until we've read all the books before (laughs) you get a tattoo. But I do love that quote. Thank you, Becca. I need to be controlled with this sort of thing. Just get like a sleeve of Austen quotes that actually look awesome. That would look really cool. Actually, when I was in fifth grade, we did a project that was like a cast of our hand in paper mache. And then we could decorate it to like be about like who we are. And I did like all newspaper clippings so that it looked like like words all that because I was like I'm a writer and so it had like words all over my hand and then this other guy in my class Liam also did the same thing and uh he got praised and I was mad (laughs) anyway fuck Liam (laughs) yeah fuck Liam he's a nice guy but so Eddie simply will not be cheered up and he leaves shortly thereafter Eleanor is sad when he leaves but she decides that the way to cope is to keep busy act natural basically the opposite of how Marianne behaved when Willoughby left Marianne is shocked by this behavior. She believes that Eleanor should be feeling the loss of Eddie much more deeply. Yeah, we've we've seen this through the entirety of Marianne's perception of what's happening with Eleanor. She she knows her sister well enough to know how her sister feels about Eddie, and she just cannot fathom how Eleanor shows how she feels about Eddie. Yes. You know, like Marianne has a very specific like running through the rain vibe that Eleanor is not consistent with. She didn't cry like Jess from New Girl. She compartmentalized like Cece like from Cece. New Girl. They're like Jess and Cece. Yes. Wow. Kind of, actually. I wonder, can we equate the characters of New Girl to the characters of Sense and Sensibility? We've got Eleanor and Marianne, Nick Miller. No. 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 I think we could do it I don't we'll wait till the end and I'll explain why at the end okay all right put a pin in it so even though Eleanor is keeping busy all the time she still thinks about Eddie literally all the time and one day she's sitting and thinking about Eddie when company arrives and my first thought was whomst but then it's and it says it's a large party but the main portion of the party is John Lady Middleton and Mrs. Jennings but there's also a gentleman and a lady John comes to the window to talk to Eleanor like a weirdo when the door is right there. (laughs) He tells her he's brought with him the Palmers. New characters. He asks where Mary Ann is and she tells him that Mary Ann's out walking. Mrs. Jennings then joins them at the window. It says that she comes over hallooing. She's like, what are you talking about? Hello. Hello. (laughs) I love her. And they're literally the door is right there and they all come over to the window to talk to her. Mrs. Jennings tells Eleanor she's brought her other son and daughter that they surprised her last night. She thought they were Colonel Brandon returning, but they were obviously not. And then Eleanor lets them in while Mrs. Dashwood and Margaret come downstairs. And then we meet the Palmers. So Mrs. Palmer, who I believe is named Charlotte, is younger than Lady Middleton, short, plump, pretty, and very kind, and basically the opposite of Lady Middleton. I think that she's the actual daughter of Mrs. Jennings? Yes. 
both Lady Middleton and Mrs. Palmer, the daughters of Lady Jennings. And then the husbands are her son-in-laws. Yes. Okay. And she happens to get along very well with John Middleton, who she vibes with all the time. And then there's Mr. Palmer. And then there's Mr. Palmer, who's literally the opposite. He's grave and he's fashionable, but not as willing to be pleased. He literally comes in and picks up a newspaper and sits in the corner and reads. Okay. This is not a spoiler, but I have to tell you because I want your opinions. Uh, The 1995 version of Sense and Sensibility casts two relatively well-known actors in the roles of Mr. and Mrs. Palmer. And there's no way you'll guess, but guess. Okay. There's only like six British actors. So, (laughs) so, so far we've got, we definitely have Emma Thompson, Hugh Grant, Alan Rickman, and Kate Winslet accounted for, as well as, I don't know who plays Willoughby. So, okay. So we've got those four accounted for. Mrs. Palmer and Mr. Palmer, two well-known actors. Hot? Don't answer that. I'm going to guess. Um. Mrs. Palmer is around the age of of those other women. Hang on. I'm just going to... Can I Google British actors so that I can have a list in front of me? Uh, sure. This is important. There's a lot of British actors, I know. Molly. I know. Okay. Mrs. Palmer, Helena Bonham Carter. I'm not looking at your face, so you can make whatever faces you want. So we've got Helena Bonham Carter and... <laughs> What? What? The, the, just the list of British actors is is making me laugh because I'm trying to remember how. Okay. Oh, yes, that's who it is. Helena Bonham Carter and Rafe Fiennes. I will not confirm, nor will I deny. Let me defend my decisions on these. Sure, sure. Rafe Fiennes, hot, tall, good at having a blank face, like could just pick up a newspaper and be like, hmm. and like he's handsome and fashionable. And well, okay, based on some movies I've seen, friendly, but like he could be unfriendly too, based on Voldemort. Voldemort, for example. Yeah. And then Helena Bonham Carter, bouncy, eccentric, easily excitable. I can picture her doing the speech where she's like, look at how beautiful these paintings are, and then sitting down and forgetting about them immediately. So those are my two two choices for now. All right. All right. Yes. But basically, the Palmers are the reverse of Lady Middleton and John Middleton, which I like. So Mrs. Palmer goes on about how lovely the room is, and she's trying to involve Mr. Palmer in the conversation, but he doesn't acknowledge her. And she says, Mr. Palmer does not hear me. He never does sometimes. It is so ridiculous. (laughs) It's such an interesting relationship that they have. Oh, yeah, that's an adjective for it. (laughs) Mrs. Dashwood notices this. She's like, that's not funny that he doesn't listen to you when you talk. But meanwhile, Mrs. Jennings is going on about how they surprised her. And she says to Eleanor, she wishes they hadn't traveled so fast that it's not good for Mrs. Palmer in her condition. And Mrs. Palmer's like, ha ha ha, mama, I'm fine. And then Mrs. Jennings says she's going to be confined in February. So she's having a baby. Mm -hmm. This conversation is too personal for Lady Middleton and she tries to change the subject. She asks Mr. Palmer if there's any news in the paper and he says no, none at all and he continues reading. I love that idea. So she's like is there any news? And he's just like no. Yep. And then just keeps reading like of course there's news. You're reading it. I feel like I'm going to need to revise my choices for them. That's not who I was really picturing but I couldn't put a name to the faces I was picturing so I just picked two people that I could 
roll with, but I'm going to think more on it. Okay, okay. I could still see Rafe Fiennes. I'm not not super sure about Helena Bonham Carter. But anyway, then Marianne comes in, and John tells Mr. Palmer that she's a monstrous pretty girl, which I think is a little bit weird. When she enters, Mrs. Jennings asks if she was at Allenham, and then Mrs. Palmer laughs to show she knows what's happening, and the whole thing is very yikes. They have no capacity to not tease these women about, like, the men they're interested in. It's so much. The level of chill that the Jennings Palmers have, zero. No, no. None. And Mrs. Jennings, I love her. She doesn't give a flying fuck. No, not at all. She's like, oh, did that hurt your feelings? <laughs> Whoops. Are you uncomfortable? <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Who played Mrs. Jennings? Don't tell me, but like, ooh. After Mr. Palmer goes back to looking at his newspaper and Mrs. Palmer is looking at Eleanor's drawings and then she forgets about them and everything, then everyone gets up to leave and Mrs. Palmer asks Mr. Palmer if he had fallen asleep and then he's like, the ceiling is too low and leaves. Their dynamic is super strange. Then John invites them all to come to the park the next day, but Mrs. Dashwood is like, no, she doesn't want to go to the park more than they come to the cottage. Like, she doesn't want to upset the balance of hospitality, Mm -hmm. but she's like, my girls can do whatever they want. They also don't want to go, but they are basically forced to come. Everyone keeps begging them to come because basically they want to avoid hanging out with each other alone, like mostly with the Palmers. I think they don't want to be alone with the Palmers. (laughs) which is kind of funny. And Marianne complains that they're basically paying rent in visits to the house. Yeah, she has a great line on it. The rent of this cottage is said to be low, but we have it on very hard terms if we are to dine at the park whenever anyone is staying either with them or with us. Yeah, like we're paying in keeping them company. We're paying in emotional exhaustion. Yeah, and then Eleanor is like, they're just trying to be nice. Plus, like, they don't seem to like their guests and they think that we're fun. And that's the end of those two chapters. That brings us to Becca's study questions. I want to go back to the great hair debacle for a second. Thank goodness. I wanted to compare three reactions. Eddie's reaction, Marianne's reaction, and Eleanor's reaction. Eddie was so embarrassed. He, like, blushed and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's my sister's hair, of course, yeah. So what makes you think Eddie's so embarrassed there? Um, why, like, why do you think Eddie's so embarrassed? Why do I think Eddie is embarrassed? I think that he stole this hair <laughs> off of her head when she wasn't looking. So that's creepy on the one hand. So he's probably like, she thinks I'm a creepazoid now. Remember saying creepazoid? Is that chuggy? Oh, my God. I have no idea. Is Radiohead chuggy? I don't know. Uh, God. Because I'm a creep. Two, I think it's the principle of the thing. He's wearing this signification of intimacy it's like if you got a promise ring for yourself and someone but you're not dating them (laughs) and he's like oh god she knows that I'm obsessed with her now all right uh and what do you think of Marianne's reaction and why Marianne's reaction is a little surprising to me honestly the fact that she feels bad for pointing it out isn't unlike her. Well, what I get from that reaction is she's misreading the room a little bit. In what way? She thinks Eleanor is going to be embarrassed. Right, 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 right. Because Eleanor's reaction is very un-Eleanor. Exactly. So we see a moment where Marianne is underestimating the inner fires within Eleanor. (laughs) She doesn't know how horny her sister is. Which brings us to Eleanor's thirst moment where she's like, ooh, he has my hair. And she loves it. I mean, okay, I think that this stems from her being so uncertain of his affection a minute ago. Like, 
were she certain of his affections, I don't think she would be having such a strong reaction. But it just does show Eleanor to be more susceptible to her own feelings than one would think on the outside. Yes. This makes sense because a few episodes ago you were saying, like, people think Eleanor's so practical, but I have feelings about her or something like that. I get where you were going with that, which is like she has a practical shell, but ultimately mm, she has a sensible shell, but ultimately inside she's also got sensibilities. Mm. Mm. Indeed. All right. Number two, asking yourself again, now that we've removed the lens of thinking that he had a thing for Marianne, what are your theories on Eddie's sadness? I still have no idea. (laughs) I think that perhaps it is about not having a job. Perhaps that's true. Perhaps it's about her being so far away. That might be true, too. I mean, gosh, what if the hair is not Eleanor's and they think it's Eleanor's because it's the same color as her hair and it's some randos? Doubt that very much, but like... He's got something else going on outside of the time that he's here. Why was he in London for two weeks without telling them? What was he doing? Is he going back to London or New Orleans? He doesn't even say which he's going back to. He's just like, I have to leave. I have to leave now, even though I'm sad about it. So he's got something else going on, but I don't know what it is. I wonder if he got in some sort of something with his mother where she's given him an ultimatum. Maybe she's given him an ultimatum. Maybe it's something to do with his sister. Maybe something to do with Norland. Maybe he knows something that they don't know. <gasps> ooh, ooh. Does he know something that they don't know? Like how in the cherry orchard when, um, what's his face, buys the house and he comes back and he's like, it's a party. And they're all like, why is it a party? And he's like, oh, just, just enjoy some champagne, blah, blah, blah. By the way, I bought your house and you have to move out immediately. Like, maybe he knows something that they don't know and it's making him sad and he doesn't know how to interact with them without telling them. I will not confirm or deny any of your theories. All right. What do you think of Eleanor's reaction to sad Eddie, a.k.a. Seti? Well, at first she was pretty stressed. Oh, you mean like her, what she's, what her conclusions that she's drawn? Somewhat, just like her reasoning through the whole thing. I think that she is, she's trying to hold on to some sense of joy right now. I think that, the whole thing with that she was saying about his mom being the cause of it all, even though I just said maybe the mom was the cause of it all, like she definitely is trying to be like, but he has my hair around his finger. And I think by the end, she's kind of tried to forget that he was feeling so distant in the beginning. All right. We meet new characters. What do you think of the the Palmers so far? I love them. They're so weird. And they have... <laughs> They have such a weird dynamic. It's almost Mr. and Mrs. Benedy. I think that's a great analogy. Yeah. And and they're and I like that they are an antithesis to Mr. and Mrs. Lady and Sir John Middleton. I think that that'll be an interesting vibe. I hope they stay for a little bit. I hope they're not just like popping in, popping out. I hope that they're around for a while. All right. Finally, what do you think will happen at dinner? Oh, they're going to dinner the next day. I feel like all of our chapters end with an invitation and I'm and you're always like, so what's going to happen at this thing? And I'm like, oh, they have to actually go do the thing. I hope that Colonel Brandon comes back at dinner. Um, I hope it, it rains and he's on a horse and he like comes up and he's like, I have to tell you guys what's happened. 
I don't think that's going to happen. I think that probably Mrs. Palmer and Mrs. Jennings are going to grill Eleanor about Eddie and make her super uncomfortable. Okay. And that brings us to the standby's funniest quote. I wrote down several options. I think I'm going to go with a Mrs. Palmer quote. Nice. Oh, dear, how beautiful these are. Well, how delightful. Do but look, Mama, how sweet. I declare they are quite charming. I could look at them forever. And then, sitting down again, she very soon forgot that there were any such things in the room. That was her looking at Eleanor's drawings. God bless. Questions moving forward? Why was Eddie being so weird? What with the hair? What I don't I don't even know how to formulate that question. I just like how did he get the hair and will we find out? And if he left for London today, like when is he gonna come back for us to finish that conversation? And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what's gonna happen at dinner. Who wins the chapters? You know, I think I'm gonna give it to Eleanor again for her spicy awakening. All right. We love a spicy awakening here. We do. On Pod and Prejudice. That concludes this week's episode. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us this time. Next week, we're not actually going to go to uh, the next chapters of Sense and Sensibility right away. We have a special bonus episode with a lovely separate podcast featuring Jane Austen, but also all the Bronte sisters. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get ready for that podcast, highly recommend purchasing or renting a copy of Why She Wrote by Hannah Chapman and Lauren Burke, also the co-hosts of Bonnets at Dawn, a podcast Molly and I cannot recommend enough, even though Molly cannot listen to huge chunks of it. (laughs) I'm a spoiler Um, baby, but uh, yeah, we would recommend that book. And if you haven't read the book, it's also still a delightful listen. Oh yeah, we'll tell you all about it, and hopefully by the end we'll have convinced you to go out and get your own copy. Absolutely. So for the episode after our lovely guests come on, we're going to read chapters 20 through 22, so a three-chapter assignment this coming episode. But until next time, Molly, stay proper. And find yourself something or other on a horse. I love it. I almost forgot that. That's it. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.